The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from the first letter to the Corinthians. The first letter to the Corinthians, and we'll be reading from chapter 6, the verses 12 to 20. Now, there were some fairly significant issues that were going on in the Corinthian church at this point in time, and the Apostle Paul had written them to deal with these various issues. And first of all, he was discussing the, the dangers of divisions in the church and the need to be united under Christ United under Christ who is crucified and the proclamation of that word. Then he went on to speak about how they ought to view the ministry of the apostles and how much, uh, how eagerly they have worked to serve the church. And then he begins to speak about more practical things. Sexual immorality defiling the church and then lawsuits against believers. And then he returns once again in our passage here today to, to the command to flee from sexual immorality. And that's what we'll be looking at today in particular in connection with Lord's Day 41 and the seventh commandment. 1 Corinthians 6, the verses 12 to 20. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's now read together from the summary of God's Word as we find it in Lord's Day 41. And you'll be able to find that on page 556 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 41, dealing with the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. What does the seventh commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. We, we must, therefore, detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and sh- similar shameful sins? 
since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Imagine for a moment that you are walking through a hall full of mirrors. It's a display with mirrors of every shape and size. And as you walk through the hall, you see your form twisting into different figures. A flat mirror will give you a picture of the world as it is. A convex mirror, a curved out mirror, the kind you'll find hanging in gas stations will give you a bigger picture of the world. A concave mirror, a mirror that looks a little bit like a cave or the inside of a spoon, will give you a bigger picture of yourself. Looking into one of these mirrors, suddenly you fill the whole mirror from top to bottom. The way that you look in these mirrors can be a little bit like the way that you look at yourself in life as well. And the question is, how are you looking at yourself? What kind of mirror are you using? Are you using the mirror of God's word? Or are we letting something else shape our point of view? Genesis 1 teaches us that we are created in the image of God. Even after the fall into sin, God still looks at us as being created in his image. That doesn't change. You can see Genesis 9, verse 6 for that truth. If you don't look at the world the way that God wants you to, however, it will warp the way that you see life, and it will warp the way that you live out life. You'll no longer be living as an image bearer of God, but you'll be living in the way of the world. This is true, of course, for every area of life. Look at what has dominion over you. That is to say, in the words of verse 12 of our passage, look at what has power over you. Look at what rules your time, your relationships, your emotions, your money, drugs, overuse of video games, alcohol, overuse of Facebook, and more. These are different things that can have a hold on someone's life. But today, do take time to notice how this is especially true in light of our passage in 1 Corinthians 6, how this is especially true for our lives when it comes to the question of God-given sexual intimacy and the question of sexual immorality. Because when we bring it into these things, We're talking about something more than just what we do to our bodies. We are talking about something that affects the soul. We'll look at 1 Corinthians 6 today under the following theme. The body is meant for God's glory. And we'll see, first of all, a question of freedom. 
Secondly, the danger of immorality. And third, the preciousness of right intimacy. First, the question of freedom. Second, the danger of immorality. And third, the preciousness of right intimacy. In the first place, the question of freedom arises because we live in a society in which we are told that we're the ones who are to be in control. William Ernest Henley wrote in his well-known poem, Invictus, In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Today, society has taken hold of those final lines. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And made it their motto. The idea of someone else dictating to me what ought to be done is horrifying. It's seen as the ultimate betrayal of self. And you can see this especially true in models like my body, my choice, that you hear springing up time and time again. We are the ones in control, we're told, and no one else is. And then we come to our passage today. If we're fairly closely tied to our culture today, as many of us are, we may find ourselves flinching at the words of the passage that we see before us. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Compare that to, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Bold language. Christ has laid claim to every part of our life. He has died for us. And he has purchased us with his blood. He lays claim to everything. We can't hold back anything. We belong to him. And so we have a responsibility to someone beyond ourselves for what we do with our own bodies. How countercultural is that? But it's not just we ourselves today who shrink from this kind of language. It was the people in the author of our letter, Paul's day as well. They wrote to him on this subject saying, we're free in Christ, right? So that means we should be free to do Whatever we want. And then they threw out this line. All things are lawful for me. In some Bibles, in some Bible translations, you can't see it quite as clearly, but the Bible translation that we have here before us today captures it well when they put it in quotes here. All things are lawful for me, they write to Paul. And it's to this point that the Apostle Paul speaks. Now, what they're doing here is taking some of Paul's own earlier words. The Apostle Paul had been speaking to other Christians, and perhaps to them in person as well, 
about freedom to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Basically, any meat that you found in the marketplace in the ancient world had been sacrificed to idols. And as a Christian, Paul had said, you are allowed to buy that kind of meat from a marketplace. This is to be found within Christian freedom. When someone deliberately tells you it's from an idol, of course, it would be a bad witness to them to purchase it and to eat it. Then you abstain from eating it, he said. But all food is ultimately from God. So when it comes to things that are indifferent, like food, then yes, a Christian has freedom. The problem was that the Corinthians were taking this language of freedom when it comes to food, and they were suddenly applying it to their sexual appetites as well. The fact that my body has this sexual appetite must mean that I am free to follow it, just as I am free to follow my appetite for food. Yes, we're free in Christ, he says. But that doesn't mean that we are free from all responsibility. God has put guidelines in place. He has put protective boundaries in place. And this is especially true when it comes to the question of sex. There are limits on our freedom. And those limits come when our desires no longer line up with those of Christ. With, those, with the freedom that He grants us. Those limits come when we want to put ourselves back into slavery. And this brings us to our second point, the danger of immorality. And the problem with immorality, especially sexual immorality, is that it puts us back into slavery. It puts us back into selfishness, which is slavery to making idols of ourselves. And it puts us back into making idols of those things that we fix our eyes on as well. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians 4 verse 9. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be put in bondage? Bondage is slavery. He's saying, how is it possible that you turn again and you desire again to be brought back into slavery? When we chase after sin like this, we're voluntarily putting chains back on ourselves. Think of the mirror again for a moment. When a mirror is curved in on itself, suddenly all you see is yourself, isn't it? You fill up the whole picture. Everything else is blocked out. It becomes all about you and satisfying your own desires. And that's a kind of slavery, God says. Well, why is this especially a problem? Well, as we read in the second half of verse 13 here, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. The body is meant for the Lord. This means that all of us were rescued by God, and because of this, we are freed 
to serve Him and glorify Him with our bodies just as much as with the rest of us. Our bodies belong to Him too. Now when we settle for looking lustfully at a woman, whether on a billboard or at the beach or while watching pornography, we are sending a message. When we are looking lustfully at a man, we are sending a message. And when we take the next step of satisfying ourselves by committing adultery, we are sending God a message. We are telling God that the freedom that He gave us in Christ is not enough and that we want to go back to slavery. We are telling Him that we are putting the chains of selfishness back on. We are putting the chains of idolatry back on. We're like those Israelites who are wandering around the desert. And it was a hard time in the desert. And they're looking back at the land of Egypt and they're saying, Wow, remember when we had cucumbers and all kinds of wonderful things to eat? All kinds of variety? Man, I wish we were back in Egypt. We are desiring to return to Egypt. We are putting the chains of idolatry back on, and boy, are those ever heavy shackles to carry. You don't think so? Consider how hard it is for someone trapped in years of porn usage to break free. And that's when they're willing to admit that there's a problem. The chains, the shackles only grow heavier with every year that you carry them. Consider the person who has to bear the weight of unconfessed sin after they have committed adultery. That's a huge weight to carry. But there are even greater consequences than that. Because our rushing out to put on chains doesn't just affect us, but it affects those around us as well. Sin is curved in on itself, and so we don't see this. Our bodies fill the whole mirror, but without realizing it, our selfishness grows. Think about it for a moment. Men and women. Yes, this isn't just a male problem. You women, too. Where are you getting those hours to view pornography from? Days at the office or on the job site get longer because time is spent looking at computer screens or phones. But those hours don't come for free. They're taken away from something. You are sacrificing your wife and your children at the altar of personal pleasure. You are sacrificing your relationship with friends at the altar of sex. You also are wired to defend what you love. Let me say that again. You are also wired to defend what you love. When you love sin, you get very defensive about those extra hours that you spend away. 
You get short-tempered with your wife and with your children when they start to encroach on your time. You begin to isolate yourself from your other relationships so that you can spend time with this false relationship with sin that you have built. You become curved in on yourself. This creates very long-lasting scars. Because when you, by God's grace, leave that particular sin behind you, you need to reevaluate every relationship that you have scarred through your time with sin. Because the way that you deal with people becomes normal. It becomes a habit after a while. And over time, you stop seeing it, even in yourself. And destructive behaviors that you have built, as well as the selfish and self-centered self-image that you've allowed yourself to carry through that time, there'll be further chains that you've chosen to carry There will be further chains that you need to repent of and turn to Christ once again from as He cuts away your burden. Sex isn't meant for this. Sex is meant to be free and joyful within the proper bounds. Freely giving yourselves to each other within the bounds that God has given. And not just taking, taking, taking. It's built and designed to be God-glorifying and delightful. It builds up. It's part of a husband and wife coming together, becoming one flesh. You come together not just for physical intimacy, but emotional and spiritual intimacy. Becoming one flesh is part of that is is that whole package. Physical, emotional, and spiritual, bringing all of that together. But when the idol of self gets in the way, then suddenly you're no longer investing in a relationship together. You're departing from God's standard. And what was wholesome and pure and good and God-glorifying becomes deadening. You are walking out of the light and the sunshine and into the dark and gloom of a prison cell, clamping cold iron shackles about your own hands and feet. And Paul is standing outside this prison cell, speaking to the Corinthians here today. He's standing outside of this prison cell in the free air and under the light of Christ. And he's saying to them, why are you allowing this? Why are you choosing this? You are going back to what Christ set you free from. You are letting it have dominion over you. You are letting it rule over you. Why are you returning to this? But more than that, when you go after sexual pleasure with something outside of the good designs that God has made, you need to see the bigger picture of what you're doing. It's not just something that affects you. And it's not just something that affects your relationship with those around you. But as a Christian, 
You belong to Jesus Christ. You are joined to the Lord. You belong to Him. You take Him into every interaction that you go in, including the unholy ones. You take Him with you into every interaction that you go into. You are sinning against God. And you're hurting those relationships around you. You do need to open your eyes to these things, beloved. It's not a harmless sin. It's not a victimless crime. It's not okay just because everyone else involved is enjoying it. It curves you in on yourself. It's selfishness leading to more selfishness. It's idolatry. This brings us to our third point. We could just end with what we've just said and say, stop that. But that wouldn't be enough, would it? Because all that would make you do is crumble underneath the weight of guilt and just leave you there. This, beloved, is meant to open your eyes and let you see the danger of sin. But it's not meant to leave you there. You have made yourself a prisoner all over again. You were free in Christ and you chose to enter that cold, dark, damp and stinking prison cell and put on those strong iron chains on your hands and on your feet, all for some pleasure. And then your eyes are open to where exactly you are. But we need to see and we need to know that God always gives us a way out from under such things. How? Well, God draws our attention to three things. First of all, that He is God. He is the designer. Secondly, what to flee from. And thirdly, what to flee to. These are the three things that are drawn out in our passage. So in the first place, we need to see that this picture of absolute freedom that the world gives is actually no freedom at all. Freedom without boundaries is a freedom that ends in slavery and in misery. We need boundaries to thrive and to, enjoy, to find joy. You parents, you already understand this in the way that you raise your children, right? When you're raising them, you don't let them do everything. You put a baby gate at the top of the stairs when your child is learning to crawl because the freedom to fall down them would likely injure or kill them. That's not a freedom you give them yet. You give them bedtimes because not having a regular sleep routine makes them irritable and angry and it's generally not good for them or for you to be sleep deprived. 
You don't give them the freedom to drive your car until you've taught them to operate it safely, which is to say, in accordance with the rules of the road. There's a Hebrew word that means happy, simcha. And this word doesn't mean a quick and temporary pleasure that comes with, for example, looking at pornography, but it means living in accordance with God's will. Because believing in God, we understand that the only true joy comes from recognizing freedom that comes within the limits that God has put in place. This is precious. This is a precious gift that God grants to us. He has created things good and right. And he knows that the best way to live life is within the limits of his will and his word. And so we recognize the supremacy of God. This is precious. God has created sex. God has designed intimacy. And his creation is good. But the only way to find true fulfillment and lasting pleasure is to find it within the limits of His will and His word to His glory. So that's the first thing that we recognize. We're called to look at the authority of God as the one who created intimacy. His authority to speak into our lives about intimacy. The second is something that comes out a lot more strongly in our passage today. The second thing is that when our God calls us to flee from something, it's because He knows what He's talking about. He knows it's harmful to us. You might be stuck in pornography right now. You might be stuck in dealing with someone else in a relationship that you know is ungodly. And it might seem okay at this moment. But, brother, sister, beloved of God, he knows what he's talking about. As the designer of our intimacy, when he says something is harmful, and when he says it hurts us and those who are around us, take him at his word. Men, say you got yourselves a beautiful little family van. You would listen to the man who built your car if he told you not to drive it over the edge of the cliff because it's not designed to fly. Woman, Would you listen to the designer of a washing machine if they told you not to wash your children in it because it's meant for clothes? How much more is this true for the God who designed intimacy? He says, flee. Don't stop to ask questions. Flee. Remember the wife of Lot who stopped to look back longingly on Sodom and Gomorrah and turned into a pillar of salt. When God says flee, flee. But don't just flee from something, flee to someone. 
Flee to Christ. The Apostle Paul, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are bought at a price, so glorify God in your body, as ESV puts it. You belong to Jesus Christ. And he knows the weight of the pain that comes with your sin. He knows it even better than you because he bore it on the cross. He bore the weight of your shame, your pain, and your sin on the cross. You were bought at a price. Having bought you at a price, He washes you clean. Having bought you at a price, He gives you your church family. Flee to the body of Christ to ask for help in being pointed to Him and to help you through these struggles. Look to your brothers and sisters. Or if you're unsure and you don't know who you would turn to ask, ask your pastor. And he'll be able to help you find someone who'll walk by your side. These people around you are your family in Christ. We love you, which doesn't change through this sin. And we want to help you live in the best way possible, in freedom. In Christ. And also, though you may believe the devil's lie, you're not alone. You are not alone. There are many who have gone through the same thing and found freedom in Christ. Men Woman, boys, girls, you are not alone. And brothers and sisters, respond with compassion and with grace and with love to the sibling in Christ who is fleeing from their prison to you and desperately needing to be pointed to their Lord. More than that, though, and this is especially true for singles, but also true for those who are married and struggling, remember that he's not withholding quick-fix intimacy from you because he's a killjoy. Child of God, he cares for you. And he's keeping you from a self-destructive and from an other-destructive life. Beyond that, though, he's keeping in store for you something much, much better. And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy here. Although within his created boundaries, this is something that's much more beautiful than the world's cheap imitation. 
when it's a reflection of true intimacy, self-sacrificially serving each other as Christ and His church served each other, it is so much more beautiful than what the world has to offer. But that's not our main focus. He's keeping something even better in store for you. He's keeping in store for you a time when we will live with Him in eternity, not being married or being given in marriage, not needing the picture that marriage gives anymore, because we will be living in perfect communion with Him. We will find our satisfaction in full in something that's even beyond this good gift that God has given us here in this world as a picture of His love for us, His people. Now, it's hard to imagine that kind of satisfaction and that kind of fulfillment. It's hard, especially if we feel like those Israelites in the desert, if we are living in a situation in which we're feeling a drought of that kind of intimacy. But we are looking ahead to the promised land. It's there. It's His promise. And we will find our fullness and completion in Him as He gives us a precious and perfect intimacy that's far beyond what this world has to offer. Amen.